You are listening to Spot On, a health and wellness podcast that breaks through the latest media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji-Blake, a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition and You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. Hello, Spot On listeners. Uh, Well, you asked. You asked for this. What is intuitive eating? You wanted to know more about it. So I went out and I got the person, the person about intuitive eating. She wrote, she co-wrote the uh, uh, book on this is called Intuitive Eating, a Revolutionary Anti-Diet Approach. When did she write this? Not two, three years ago, Twenty. Five years ago, was this woman on top of this or whatever? In fact, this book is in its fourth edition, and I'm going to put a a link to it up on the spot on Facebook page. So the co-author that I have today is Elise Resch, and she is going to join us here on this episode of Spot On to tell us all about what is intuitive eating. And she also has a new book out, which we'll talk about a little later in the, in the episode. So with that, I want to welcome Elise to our program. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. Okay, 25 years ago, I, I like that is absolutely amazing that you were on top of that. It, w- it was published 26 years ago, the first edition, and it was we started writing it two years before that. So we're looking at 28 years ago that we started writing this a long time ago. That is so fascinating to me because we are hearing so much about you know, intuitive eating. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I, ha- I can't tell you how many people said to me, do an episode on this, do an episode. So here we are. So tell me about this, you know, this revolutionary anti-diet approach. So, so how has the diet culture backfired, you know, for so many people? What's going on here? Well, diets don't work and diet culture uh, worships thinness and equates it with health and moral virtue. And so people, uh, in order to attain a higher status, do whatever they can to shrink their bodies. And they think the way to do that is through dieting. And unfortunately, dieting is toxic and it's a failure. Um, The statistics show that 98% of people who go on diets uh, and lose weight within a couple of years gain um, all of it back and about two thirds of them gain even more weight. So people are very um, deflated by that. Their self-esteem goes down. They think that they've done something wrong. And the, the worst part of it, and for me, this is my focus in these years of my work. I've been in practice next year, I'll be 40 years. Wow. You started when you were 10? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> right. No, it's a second career. I was an elementary school teacher when I got out of college. I didn't go back to graduate school until I, until I was 30. But uh, in any case, um, my, my current focus is on the social justice mm-hmm. and my belief that uh, Fat phobia, anti-fatism, weight stigma, weight bias, it is an oppression. And it's right up there with every other oppression that people deal with in this world. It's racism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, transphobia, uh, sexism, ageism. I mean, all of the isms and weightism is one of them. And it causes so much 
anguish in people who can't meet that culturally thin ideal, who spend their lives trying to find it and they keep feeling like failures and they keep gaining more and more weight beyond where their bodies are genetically meant to be. And they have such a, a sense of body hatred. So my work is about helping people understand that we have to liberate our bodies. We have to liberate ourselves from diet culture. We have to join the fight against this oppression. So all people are, um, as far as I'm concerned, worthy. All people are equal. It doesn't matter what size, shape, color, religion, sexuality, any of that. Everybody's the same. And so that's my work. You know, I, I, I so can relate to this because I, you know, I've been in a registered dietitian nutritionist for a hundred years. And, and, you know, when people are on all of these crazy diets, and they go off and they go on it. It's like a part-time job or even like a full-time job. I mean, it's exhausting to do this, to go on all these crazy diets. And you're right that it, 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 it's often, you know, negative repercussions from this. They feel bad. They feel like they're a failure. But the diets they on are often cuckoo and unrealistic and they can't do it. And and and, and it's, not, it's just a, a vicious cycle where they're just feeling bad. So what is intuitive eating? Well, first of all, obviously, it's an anti-diet approach to making peace with your body and with food. And it's based on uh, 10 self-care principles, which are really just guideposts. They're not rules by any means. They're just uh, a way for people to... Uh, start to learn how to tune into their bodies. Uh, there's something called interoceptive awareness, which means simply listening to what your body has to tell you about hunger, fullness, and many other things. Um, people who are intuitive eaters have much greater interoceptive awareness and ability to know when they're not feeling well or know when they have to go pee or, you know, it's, it's a connection with the body. But I have a, a, a definition that is the one that I like to talk about because I think it's the most succinct and uh, important definition so people can understand intuitive eating. And so that is that intuitive eating is a dynamic interplay of instinct, emotion, and thought. And this comes from somebody mis years ago misrepresenting intuitive eating and saying it was all about instinct and instinct can't tell you how to eat. And that's partially true. I mean, we intuitive eaters are not just going by instinct. So I want to explain this a little more clearly. Back in the time of dinosaurs, um, there was one form of brain functioning. Dinosaurs were instinctual. Their brains were out there for survival. So they just you know, instinctually knew to go after food so they would survive. And that's it. They had no feelings. They had no thoughts. They just had instinct. And then as we evolved into mammals, mammals uh, acquired another level of brain functioning, which is called the mammalian or the limbic brain. And that sits on top of that matrix of instinct. So the instinctual part of the brain, the reptilian brain is right at the top of our brain stem. And then the uh, limbic or mammalian brain, it surrounds it and is on top of that matrix. And it's the seat of emotions and social behaviors. So anybody who has pets knows that um, your pet can get angry at you. It can feel sad if another pet dies. It's got emotions, and but it can't talk about its feelings. It just has these feelings. And so what differentiates us as humans uh, is the neocortex or the uh, thinking cognitive part of the brain that can you know, talk about our thoughts and our feelings. So intuitive eating integrates all three parts. And that's why I say it's a dynamic interplay. So 
for example, we typically know when we're hungry. We typically know when we're full. We're born that way. Little babies cry when they're hungry. And uh, when they're full, they turn their little heads. But we get disconnected from that um, from, for many reasons. Diet culture is one of them. But uh, as an adult, if you're not feeling hungry because you're filled with stress and anxiety and your adrenaline's going and you uh, your hunger signals are gone, that's a point at which we have to use that cognitive part, the thinking part of our brains to say, we still need to eat. Or if there's something emotional going on where um, either you don't feel like eating or you are... Um, well, that was the emotional part I was talking about, but sometimes the emotions tend to uh, get you to eat even more. Mm -hmm. And that's where the cognitive part comes in to help soothe you and nurture you so that you're able to tune into your body. And sometimes we're just, you know, we have a cold, you know, sometimes you have a cold and you just, your taste buds don't work as well and you don't feel like eating, but we tell ourselves we need to eat. So, so when you integrate the instinct, the emotion and the thought, then you're really in tune with yourself. It's fascinating, but it's common sense. I mean, you know, we, you know, there's so much that goes on to eating, and, and when you, you, when you put it like that, you know, the dinosaur just to survive. But for us, for humans, is there's more to it than this, and and, and then on top of all that, we have life going on around us. So it it makes this unbelievably uh, complicated and challenging, and I, and so I you know, you wrote this new book, which I absolutely love, um, and I'm going to put a link to this um, on the the spot on Facebook page, and her new book is the Intuitive Eating Journal. So this what this is is your guided journal for nourishing a healthy relationship with foods. And I love this because I love this because it's very personalized. You can you can write in it. But I love this whole healthy relationship with with uh, with food. And so what do you mean by that? Well, it's uh, it means that you're not uh, feeling stressed by uh, thinking that you shouldn't eat certain things or bad about yourself for eating certain things or thinking that you have to uh, eat in a way to lose weight. It's a very pure relationship with food in that all foods, I like to call the, say uh, all foods are emotionally equivalent, meaning mm -hmm. that you feel the same, whether you're eating broccoli or a piece of candy, uh, the same about yourself. You don't have judgment. It, it's it, having a healthy relationship with food means you don't judge yourself for your food choices. It means that you feel satisfaction in your eating. It means that you're tuned in to your body's hunger and fullness signals that you're respectful to your body. It's pretty much covers all of the 10 principles of intuitive eating. All right. In this book, this fabulous book, um, you, you explain how falling off your diet uh, can have negative impacts. So can you explain that? Well, I mean, when we set ourselves out to do something that we think is going to benefit us and we can't reach that goal, we feel disappointed, we feel upset, and often we feel mad at ourselves that we're not doing a good job. But the problem is, is you, nobody can succeed at dieting. So it's the system of dieting that's the problem, not the individual. So falling off a diet to me just shows that you have a very healthy personality and ego, meaning yeah, if you look at developmental psychology, you understand that yeah, at a toddler age, and then again at the teenage, our goal is to be autonomous. 
And we care, you know, little toddler's favorite uh, word is no. Uh, Teenagers are always rebelling against what they're told to do. If they're healthy teenagers, I didn't because I was too afraid of my father. But in any case, um, that healthy part of us, that autonomous part of us, that need to assert ourselves and assert that autonomy ultimately wins out because the diet is telling, it's it's, it's an external form of telling you what to do, how much to eat, when to eat, what foods to eat. And eventually we just get um, pretty angry at that and we rebel and we, we quote, fall off the diet. And I tell people who come to my office who say, I'm a failure at dieting. I've been on diets all my life and they never work. I'll say, you're not a failure at dieting. You are a success at ego development because you have a strong inner voice that says no. Elise, that that is so interesting because I'm thinking about, um, you know, my son is a teenager uh, and he was not afraid of me. I like your father. And um, and so, you know, he if I said, you know, up, he'd say down. If I said cold, he'd say hot. You know what I mean? Just up, whatever. And and those were long teenage years. And, um, you know, I, I, I kept on I kept on reading this one line from Mark Twain that, to say, that said, I can't believe how stupid, you know, my parents were when I was a teenager, how smart they became when I turned 21. But, but, but you know, that the way you say that about the diet is like this, like a teenager to a teenager, like a parent saying, can't do that, do this, do this, do that, do that. And, and you know, and again, I when you just said that to me, I got that where a teenager is just rolling his eyes and wants to be, at the, you know, be his own thing, but but he's stuck in that age. So that's so interesting about this diet saying, no, you can't eat this, you can't eat that. So you're continually being almost scolded at. Well, right. And I really, truly believe that we all carry that toddler slash teen in us our entire lives. I mean, I'm pretty old and I still have a very strong teenager in me. If somebody tells me, oh, you should put on a jacket, I'll go, no, I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) So I I don't like to be told what to do and nobody does. And so nobody's going to tell me what to eat, when to eat, what's good food, what's bad food, you know, quote, that's in the air quotes. Um, And so I, I personally would never diet again. Now I did a lot of dieting when I was, oh, in my late twenties and early thirties. And I was very caught up in diet culture then. And then I was binging. Every Mm -hmm. time I would restrict, I would end up binging and feel horrible about myself and out of control. I have great self-compassion and gratitude for that time in my life because it brought me to the, to the work I'm doing now. It got me to go back to graduate school and and get a, I got a master of science degree in nutrition. It led me to working with people with eating disorders. I'm a certified eating disorder RD. And um, so I'm grateful that I had the food then that I had the distraction um, from other things in my life that were difficult for me. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, uh, uh, this is why this book, and, and, uh, and again, I'm going to put a picture of it and link it on, on spot on a Facebook page. This is why I love this because the, this woman has walked the walk and I, th- and you can feel it that you've gone through all of this, your own personal journey, and you want to share, you don't want other people to have to keep doing it. And it was painful for you in your twenties. And, and now you're going to help people, you know, uh, find a new way to get that re- better relationship with food.
You say in the book, you have to start finding satisfaction with food. And what do you mean by that? Well, okay. So the majority of people I know would love to have more pleasure in their lives. I mean, there are some people who, you know, have some issues they need to deal with in therapy where they don't allow themselves pleasure. But the majority of people I know, they want to get more pleasure and satisfaction in life, even if they don't know how to do that. So when you are looking at eating, wouldn't it be more it's just a wonderful experience to be able to sit down at a meal that you pick that you would really love to eat that you eat in a way that you have no judgment about it that it's so satisfying and then when you notice that you're comfortably full and the food doesn't taste you know as good you're able to stop because the satisfaction factor is kind of you know diminishing so um i like to help clients uh move into intuitive eating through the concept of satisfaction. I like them to look at it through their eating through a lens of satisfaction. So that means picking foods that, um, that you really love, that you enjoy, if you can. I mean, obviously life is life. Sometimes you have to go to someone's house who's a terrible cook and you don't have a choice. But when you have that choice, which is most of the time, to be able to figure out what you know, what's going to taste good right now? What do I feel like? What's going to, how's my body going to feel? And then to eat in a way where you're staying present so that you can get that wonderful satisfaction from the food. You know, the interesting what you just said about hunger and feeling full, um, uh, the International Food Information Council just did a survey and they, they said half of Americans stop eating when full and listen to the hunger cues when it comes to eat. So only half of us are doing this. So that, so there you go. You have a large audience that are going to be buying your book now because the other half should be doing just that. And, and that's, that was startling to me. They're saying, wow. So we have so many people that are not in touch with this food. They're not satisfied with it. They don't have a healthy relationship with it. So you see, so you have a, a lot of work ahead of you. What one of the things you talk about in the book is is taste and and. You know, I know, we all know that people eat because it tastes good and they, they pick out the food. But but you talk about taste, it was, it's interesting because not everybody really enjoys food or or really experiences the taste. So, so tell us a little about that. Well, um, as I said, I would hope that most people really enjoy food. There are, there are some people for whatever reasons that don't. I remember I used to go to dinner with a friend who really didn't care about food. She'd eat a few bites and then order another drink. So, um, but most people I know do really do enjoy food. And that encompasses not just taste, but it encompasses the aroma of the food, the texture of the food, how our bodies feel, um, whether we need a lot of volume or we need a little bit of food to, um, you know, to enjoy. And it's different at every meal, typically. So taste is, you know, there's so many different tastes. There's sweet, there's sour, there's, well, there's five basic tastes, sweet, sour, salty, bitter, and then umami, Mm -hmm. which is some new taste that, uh, you know, that I think is actually flavorful, very very flavorful. There's some uh, hamburgers that are called umami hamburgers. So um, just thinking about it for a moment, what do I feel like right now? Do I feel like a sweet meal? Do I, I just went out to breakfast this morning and I really wanted a sweet and savory meal. I wanted eggs and pancakes, but the place I went to wasn't serving the kind of pancakes I liked anymore. So I just had, you know, um, 
eggs and toast and and uh, potatoes and fruit but i primarily wanted a balance of you know of uh, savory and sweet sometimes i just want savory sometimes i just want sweet so in this book this is so interesting because you go through all of these um you know, the, how taste will affect satisfaction with food and texture and aroma and appearance and temperature or even the environment. And when I was reading the book, I'm saying, you know, that's so interesting because in this journal, you make us, the reader, you know, kind of focus on taste and then try to focus on texture and then the aroma and the appearance. And I'm saying to myself, when was the last time I really focused on this? I mean, I, I'll eat something and I just say it's good. But, you know, you know, I'm not really focusing on the, the taste or the aroma or the appearance. I'm not like experiencing. I'm not having an experience. And I'm just chowing it down. And so I, well, it was so interesting about this was that, you know, to come to understand, you know, and experience the food so that it's more satisfying. And is that satisfying? And so you you would most likely maybe eat less? Well, okay. So first, I wanted to give you an example of how important this is. Um, I love pasta. It's probably one of my favorite foods. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm 110% Italian. I just want to tell you that. Oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) And I'm married to somebody who's Italian. So that's great. In any case, um, I love pasta. When I every time I'm in Italy, I eat it every single day. And during the pandemic, uh, I, I'm not much of a cook. I did cook a little bit, but I really wanted to get it, you know, made somewhere else. And I found that if it was delivered to the house, it was too soft. It was soggy. Mm. I didn't enjoy it. I like my pasta al dente. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I picked it up and the cover was on it until I got home, it made it too soggy. So there was texture right there. Mm. Or sometimes there's, I don't like a lot of oniony flavor in something. If it's too oniony, then it doesn't taste good to me. So yeah. Okay. So back to your question. I just wanted to give an example of, you know, texture and taste right there. And also if it gets cold, it's not as good. So there's temperature. Um, now, do we eat less? So this is a very important question, Joan. When you are tuned in, when you are attuned to your hunger and fullness, when you are attuned to how satisfying the food is tasting, you reach a point where it's not tasting quite as good as it did when you were comfortably hungry when you started the meal, not ravenous, because then you can barely taste it. You're eating every roll out of the bread basket. But um, when you're comfortably hungry and you start eating that first, those first few bites are incredible. And as you go along, as you're starting to get comfortably full, it just doesn't taste quite as good. And your body is very satisfied physically. And that's a, uh, the point at which intuitive eaters stop eating. Mm. It's not always easy. I wrote a paper a long time ago that still is out there called The Sadness of Saying Enough. And for many of us, if we're in this wonderful experience and we have to stop because we don't want to feel uncomfortably full, um, we have a moment of sadness. Oh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, another pasta experience. I was out with a friend last, I'm starting to go out with friends again. I was out with a friend last week at an Italian restaurant and I ordered um, a spaghetti with, uh, you know, with a tomato basil sauce and burrata cheese on it. It was yummy. And after I had eaten, not even probably a third of it, it hit me. It's good, but it's getting cold and I'm comfortably full. It was a big portion. And I just took the rest home and ate it the next day, which was double bonus, you know. 
See, now that's, so that is so interesting because you're, you are correct. You are spot on because nothing could be as good as that first one or two bites, right? Because that's like, wow, you know, this is like fabulous. And then it's, it can only go downhill. Right? It can't get any better than the first. Chefs that have created those tasting menus where they have like 25 things on the menu, you know, yeah. that you get, they have got this this piece that I'm talking about because they just give you those first couple bites and then right. you're on to another thing. And so you never get to that point of, eh, I've had enough. It's because every bite is so delicious because it's the first. So, that, so I mean, this is what's so exciting about this journal because it makes you go through these steps to really become in tune with this and to do exactly what you said. You say something in the book is uh, about body feel. What is what is body feel? Well, it's how does my body feel when I'm too hungry? How does my body feel when I've had too much to eat? How does my body feel when I'm eating certain foods that my body doesn't like? anymore that they that it liked when I was younger. Um, it's it's about being attuned to the internal feel of your of your body. It's attuned to how your body uh, reacts to foods afterwards, perhaps also. So, you know, there are times that my body just really doesn't like garlic anymore, but I love garlic. My tongue likes it. My body doesn't like it. Sometimes I don't care. I'll be a little uncomfortable later, but because it, you know, tastes so good. So taste will come, you know, take precedence over um, a body feel. So it's really tuning in, being attuned to what your body tells you. That's good. And you also say um, to honor your hunger, which I thought was very, very interesting. So why and how should you honor your hunger? Well, it's interesting that that's early on in the intuitive eating, what I call the, you know, the Bible intuitive eating, which is the fourth edition that just came out this last year now. Uh, the in and in a couple of the books, the um, hunger factor, you know, honoring hunger is toward the beginning of the book. But the books that I wrote myself, my teen workbook and this intuitive eating journal, I put um, satisfaction above hunger because I think it's a lot easier to detect hunger or to be in tune with hunger when you're thinking about satisfaction. Because right. as I just said, if you're in primal hunger where you're the that survival part, that reptilian part of your brain is like red alert, organism in danger because you're like you're like eating anything that's not moving. That thought, yeah, right. You can't really um, get satisfaction out of food. And so that you know, honoring hunger would mean you don't want to get yourself into primal hunger because you're not going to get the satisfaction. Same thing. If you don't have an appetite, food doesn't taste as good. I often will say to a client, would you eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich when you're on the way to some special five-star restaurant? And they'll go, well, of course not. They look at me like, what's wrong with you, Elise? And I say, um, uh, no, of course you won't because you know that it'll take away your appetite. You know, that old adage our, our grandmothers used to say, you know, you won't, don't eat now, you won't have an appetite for dinner. But some of that is actually true. If you're not hungry, comfortably hungry, the food's just not going to be as satisfying. So it's looking at hunger, finding that place, that kind of sweet spot where you are uh, hungry enough to have a good appetite, but not so hungry that uh, what's most important is that you survive and you don't even taste, taste the food. Yeah. It's so, so interesting. You know, I, I agree with you now that I understand this. Uh, 
I, I, you know, I, I believe it's more important to, to, you know, find satisfaction. I mean, when you go through all that list of, of things, so much more than just the hunger, your, your hunger rating, although, you know, in, and why you put it in the middle of the book. In the book, she's got like this whole hunger, feelings of hunger and fullness. And it will go from zero to, you know, 10 where, you know, she's rat, ravenous and, and irritable to like stuffed and in pain. <laughs> That's at the highs. And you could rate yourself so, so, so interesting of where you want to be on this hunger scale. You you also uh, talk about a, a difference between taste hunger and physical hunger. So what do you what do you mean by that? Okay, so we've just been talking about physical hunger, you know, your body needs food, your blood sugar is low, you're hungry. But sometimes something just looks really good. And we're not hungry, but we want to our taste buds want to try it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, rarely am I hungry when I eat chocolate. Rarely mm-hmm. am I hungry when I eat dessert of some sort. So it's about simply that um, craving, that taste that's going to be satisfying for you. And um, that kind of hunger is what a lot of people who are dieters won't acknowledge. They'll say, oh, no, no. I, in fact, somebody I remember was at her wedding, wouldn't taste her wedding cake because she was so, you know, in a diet mentality that, um, you know, again, the bride at the wedding is typically not hungry, but she's going to taste her, taste her wedding cake as will the other bride or groom or whoever is there. Um, So, uh, you know, taste hunger, it's just part of being human. It just right. looks good. It smells good. We want to taste it. And we probably don't need that much of it because we're not really hungry. Right. And, and it, you have the whole satisfaction thing. You know, you know, we all know if you make a food forbidden, right, and you say you can't have it, uh, you tell us what you're going to do when you make a food forbidden. Abraham Maslow is a psychologist, was a psychologist who created a model called the hierarchy of needs. And his belief was that we are driven by our unmet needs. So a homeless person is really not thinking about career or, you know, even the taste of food. It's that homeless person is just looking for food and maybe some, you know, shelter or cover over, over their head. So, um, when we don't have something, that's what we want. And so mm-hmm. we can't have certain foods because we're told we shouldn't. You're on that diet that says, you know, this is bad or that is bad. It builds up such a craving in, for, in us mm-hmm. because it is forbidden. It's just the way it is in life in general, whether it's meeting a new person and you just want to spend all this time with that person because, you know, you haven't had that, you haven't had that opportunity. And then after a while, it's nice, but it's no, for, it's no longer, uh, unavailable to you. It would be forbidden or unavailable would be the concept. So um, making all foods, uh, as I said, emotionally equivalent, having the ability to pick whatever you like, you don't feel deprived. But on the diets, you can't get what you like and you do feel deprived. But I do want to make a statement for anybody who hears this, who has food insecurity. You can't real, if you don't have access to food, if you're living in a food desert, if you are, uh, you know, worried about when, where you're going to get your next meal. You can't really be that um, discriminating about the most satisfaction or the hunger and fullness. You just have to survive. So, right, 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 right. No, absolutely, absolutely. You know, t- just you know, I want to leave uh, you with, with your words of wisdom here. So, how can this fabulous book, this new intuitive eating journal, how can it, how can it help people 
you know, you, you give us give us some examples of how it, people can, you know, implement this in their life and how long it might take them to flip over to be more of an intuitive uh, eater. So there are some people who really will want to read, as I said, the textbook, the intuitive eating book that has all the studies. We have over 140 scientific studies validating intuitive eating as an evidence-based process for physical and emotional health. That's all written about in the book. There's all kinds of depth in that book. And so some people want to read that book first and then go to the journal Mm -hmm. so that they can start to explore their feelings. Because like in any journal, it gives you room for your imagination, for going deeper for for exploring other people can just start with the journal because it gives them just a kind of a bird's eye view into intuitive eating and that's enough to get them excited and uh, focused on things that they never would have thought about before so there's you know it's a different format than a textbook and again it's not a textbook but that's the way I think of it uh, or a workbook where you've got very uh, little space to answer questions. This is more an exploration. Right. Right. I'm going to tell you, it's excellent. Um, it is, it's super, it's very personalized. And, you know, I learned a lot from it. I learned more talking to you. I can tell you that right now. Um, you, this has been absolutely excellent. And, you know, so many people, as I said in the beginning, wanted to know more about intuitive eating and I brought the rock star in. So I have to tell you, my friend, Elise, uh, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I know that you're in California, but honey, when you come to Boston, I'm taking you to the North End. If you want pasta, I'm going to take you to the North End. How's that sound? That sounds great. (laughs) Elise, thank you so much. And again, the Intuitive Eating Journal, we're going to put that up on the uh, Spot On Facebook page. And thank you again for being on Spot On. You're welcome. Spot On is supported by the Boston University Sargent College's Master of Science degree in Nutrition program. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about this fabulous nutrition graduate program. Thank you for listening to Spot On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This way you'll get every new episode every week. And by the way, leave us a nice review. And can you also like us on our Spot On Facebook page and suggest topics for future episodes? Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joan Salji Blake. And oh, by the way, can you send this episode to five of your friends? Do I ask a lot of you?